You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. White House releases its U.S. national cybersecurity strategy, red teaming critical infrastructure, Redis cryptojacker has been discovered, Russia bans several messaging apps. Our guest is Kapil Reyna from CrowdStrike with the latest on threat hunting, Dinah Davis from Arctic Wolf on the top healthcare industry cyber attacks, and hacktivist auxiliaries continue their nuisance-level activities. The Cyberwire Studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your Cyberwire summary for Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. The White House this morning released its long awaited, much anticipated national cybersecurity strategy. The strategy's intention, the White House explained, is to secure the full benefits of a safe and secure digital ecosystem for all Americans. The White House shared that two primary goals of the strategy are to rebalance the responsibility to defend cyberspace by shifting the burden of cybersecurity away from individuals and on to specialized organizations in the sector, as well as to realign incentives to favor long-term investments by balancing threat defense with smart planning and investment. The strategy is planned to prioritize ease and effectiveness of cybersecurity implementation, quick recovery from incidents, and reinforcement of digital values in three points highlighted by the administration, defensibility, resiliency, and values alignment. The strategy has five core tenets, defend critical infrastructure, disrupt and dismantle threat actors, shape market forces to drive security and resilience, invest in a resilient future, and forge international partnerships to pursue shared goals. The Wall Street Journal makes an interesting point in noting that this strategy has a much wider lens than the government seems to have used in recent years. Sectors such as oil and gas pipelines, as well as federal agencies, have been brought into focus on a much smaller scale by the federal government in yesteryear, the journal writes. The Washington Post makes note of the way the strategy also brings to light the role of U.S.-based services in foreign cyber attacks. The strategy identifies the ways foreign threat actors exploit U.S.-based cloud infrastructure, saying, Often, these services are leased through foreign resellers who have multiple degrees of separation from their U.S.-based providers, hindering the ability of those providers to address abuse complaints or respond to legal process from U.S. authorities. The Post also notes the strategy's inclusion of four other initiatives, 
a potential approach to a federal cybersecurity insurance response in times of catastrophe, the slow adoption of IPv6, the White House's much-needed legislative assistance, and early steps in the development of a strategy implementation plan. We'll be attending a press session this afternoon in which the administration will offer more perspective on the strategy, and we'll follow the story up tomorrow. CISA has published the findings of a red team assessment the agency carried out against a large critical infrastructure organization last year. The operation, conducted at the request of the organization, lasted three months. The red team was able to gain access to two workstations via spear phishing attacks. The team was also able to move laterally within the network, but were unable to gain access to the organization's sensitive business systems after running up against multi-factor authentication measures and time constraints. However, CISA believes that by using secure shell session socket files, they could have accessed any hosts available to the users whose workstations were compromised. Cryptojacking is back. Of course, it's never really been away, but there's a new threat actor giving the technique a bit of a surge. Cato security researchers shared in a blog this morning their discovery of a campaign targeting insecure Redis deployments for cryptojacking. The campaign leverages open-source command-line file transfer service Transfer.sh, which has seen activity since at least 2014. The service, however, didn't see any malware distribution until researchers noticed it early this year. The Cato team suspects that the move to the file transfer service may represent an attempt to evade detection. Russia's internet watchdog, Roskomnadzor, has banned nine foreign messaging apps, computing reports. Roskomnadzor's statement singles out the apps as being foreign-owned and as providing a way for users to communicate directly with one another. The sender determines the recipient of the message with no possibility for public mediation of the content, and this direct, unmediated communication seems to be the more troubling aspect of the services. As Computing points out, other foreign-owned apps like Zoom remain acceptable. Razkomnadzor's statement makes no specific accusation of subversion or direct complicity with anti-Russian forces, as had marked earlier bans on Facebook and Instagram. The apps that fall under the new restrictions include Discord, Microsoft Teams, Skype for Business, Snapchat, Telegram, Threema, Viber, WhatsApp, and WeChat. And finally, to turn specifically to Russia's war against Ukraine, there have been no reports of major cyber attacks in recent days, but hacktivists have remained active. The U.S. consulate in Milan, for example, had its Twitter account hijacked last week on February 27th, and the attackers used it to disseminate tweets associating Ukraine's government with Nazis, flags, swastikas, and so on, the usual shtick. The State Department regained control of the account, but Newsweek reports, not before the pro-Russian hacktivist tweets achieved about 140,000 views. Sure, those aren't really even teenage influencer numbers, but the hijacking has to be dealt with in any case. The State Department explained, with what must have been the organizational equivalent of a weary sigh, that the U.S. remained committed to its support of Ukraine, and that no, Foggy Bottom doesn't think that Kyiv is some kind of nest of Nazis. (music) 
Coming up after the break, Dinah Davis from Arctic Wolf on the top healthcare industry cyber attacks. Our guest is Kapil Reyna from CrowdStrike with the latest on threat hunting. Stay with us. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Security firm CrowdStrike recently shared their 2022 Falcon Overwatch threat hunting report, tracking the evolving adversary activity and tradecraft over the past 12 months. Kapil Reyna is vice president of Zero Trust Marketing and identity evangelist at CrowdStrike. Identity and the breach of uh, identity, and especially identity-related attacks, has become a key element of most adversaries' uh, arsenal. And this could be things like, uh, you know, you know uh, privilege escalation, uh, lateral movement, you know, things like that. So identity and the breach of identity has become so instrumental uh, in, in, in many of the, uh, uh, the adversary attacks. So we've seen that kind of progress uh, more so over the last year or two and more dramatically. And so that's definitely one key trend that we're, we're definitely seeing. One of the things that you all highlighted here was that uh, the the bad guys are, are shifting some of their tactics here. You, you saw, uh, particularly you highlighted phishing. What are you all tracking there? When we think about uh, phishing, what we've seen is that, oh, again, this is a, a pattern that's building 
is sort of targeted phishing is becoming more uh, prevalent, right? So rather than kind of the, the generic spray and pray, uh, that's definitely a, a pattern that we've seen, again, developing uh, not just this last year, but over the last few years. Uh, we have definitely seen uh, more sophisticated attacks where the because they're more targeted, that, for example, the communication within that phishing content is a little bit more crafted. Uh, we've also seen now um, shifts to acknowledging the fact that a number of organizations have, let's say, multi-factor authentication. And so kind of factoring that into the attack techniques in terms of, you know, essentially tricking someone to try and uh, approve an MFA, for example. Well, based on the information that you all have gathered here, what are your recommendations for organizations to best defend themselves? So if you look at, uh, you know, there's a couple of ways to look at it. If you, for example, uh, prescribe to the MITRE attack framework, right, that's a great way to look and, and kind of lay out the tactics techniques that a typical organization might face. And if you look at sort of a heat map, if you will, of, of where, uh, for example, where our Overwatch team sees m- many of the threats, you'll see, again, as I alluded to earlier, that identity tends to be a key key area. So if you can address and, and, and uh, mitigate identity-related attacks, you can address, a, uh, you may not be able to stop every single threat, but you can at least mitigate the threat so it doesn't uh, continue. So, for example... You know, protecting your identity infrastructure. This includes things like Active Directory and domain controllers. Uh, you know, preventing certain uh, um, uh, legacy protocols from being used, for example, that could be breached. Uh, preventing certain types of access to domain controllers that shouldn't be allowed. You know, looking at behavioral analytics in terms of how things access this infrastructure. So that's one example. Another example is looking at the credentials themselves. Since many of these attacks eventually compromise a legitimate credential, then the question is, okay, has an adversary taken over a legitimate credential, right? So has someone taken over, for example, Dave's access uh, to your system? And so there we recommend looking at real-time information about credentials, how they're used, where they're used, whether they're for human uh, human uh, credentials or even for other applications like service accounts uh, there as well. So, for example, we've seen typically... Our own research has shown typically an organization will have anywhere from, I would say, about 25% or so uh, of their accounts or what we consider stale accounts. These are accounts that were given a certain set of privileges and permissions, but were not actually accessed over uh, typically anywhere from 30 to 90 days. And why that's important is because over time, that creates a, a bigger attack factor that you're not watching. And so really tightening those controls, looking at real-time analysis. Um, the other area also to ensure that you, you really look at, as we kind of looked at all these different attacks, is about 25% or so of attacks, uh, you know, or entry points or attacks into an organization will come from an unmanaged system. These are systems, for example, from your supply chain network or contractor, where you physically can't touch that device. And so in that case, again, typically if a, a supplier or contractor is working within your environment, you're giving them a credential. So looking at uh, identity-based analysis of how that credential is being used and then giving a risk score around it so you can real-time intercept potential risky behavior, even if that system is not managed, which is super critical, especially in this day and age. Um, and the last thing I would tell you is identity is not restricted to just you know, uh, endpoint, for example, but it's also something that we'll see in, in cloud as well. If you look at the cloud environments and the attacks there, there's a number of 
challenges that you know you would have on prem that you have in the cloud. So, for example, Microsoft. There was a, a recent disclosure that Microsoft AD uh, Azure Active Directory Azure system had a number of issues. So, you know, looking at cloud holistically as you do, for example, endpoint or anything else is super important. And then the final thing is, if you're using IT infrastructure, it's always best to have it protected by a, a vendor that really, or organization that focuses on security. That's Kapil Reina from CrowdStrike. And joining me once again is Dinah Davis. She is the VP of R&D Operations at Arctic Wolf. Dinah, it's great to have you back. Uh, I saw you and your colleagues over there at Arctic Wolf recently published a report just tracking some of the uh, attacks on healthcare industry uh, representatives there. Can we go through some of the ones here that uh, caught your attention? Yeah, yeah. So it's like the top 12 uh, healthcare industry attacks of all time, right? So I thought mm. we would go through the top four because, you know, those are okay. going to be the most interesting, really. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but in the time we have. In the time we have, I, I thought maybe not 12. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the average cost of a healthcare breach in the U.S. is $10.1 million. And mm. that number, that amount has already increased 41% in just two years right? And from what we're seeing, the healthcare industry has the highest average cost of a breach 12 years running. So out of all the breaches that happen, it it tends to be the most negatively impactful (laughs) on healthcare organizations. So if we take a look here at the top four, we can see how they kind of get attacked, um, the cost of that, um, how many people are affected, that kind of thing. So the top four, so we're going in like David Letterman order here, uh, starting at <laughs> number four, no, starting at <laughs> number four um, was the Excellus Health Plan Incorporated, and it was a malware attack, and it cost seventeen point three million dollars, with ten million people um, affected. So basically, they they released uh, name names, date of birth, social insurance, all of that kind of stuff. And although the affected data was encrypted, the hackers gained access to the administrative controls, making that encryption moot. So not cool. Not cool on that. Yeah. Number three, Primera Blue Cross. So this was a phishing attack. Um, You know, quite common that we see that. It costs quite a bit more than the last one. $74 million dollars with wow. 11 million people affected, right? And so this was a phishing email to a Primera employee. The email included a link to the download to download a document, and that document uh, contained malware. So once uh-huh. the document was clicked, hackers were able to access the services, and even worse, the breach wasn't detected for eight months. Wow. Yeah, so not cool. Not cool. All right. Number two, uh, American <laughs> Medical Collection Agency. So it's actually like this is a company that collects money on behalf of 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 medical uh, businesses and stuff like that. Right. These are the the folks they send after you if you yeah. if you don't if you do not or cannot pay your bill. Yeah. So they're you know fun yeah. people. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, 
it was hacked through the online payment portal um, that they mm-hmm. that they used. Um, it cost twenty one million dollars, uh, and then it affected twenty one million people. So this one affected more people, cost a little less, but affected more people than the Primera Blue Cross. So there was some vulnerability in the web page itself. Yeah, in the in the uh, the third party is supply chain attack essentially in the third party uh. tool they were using um, to do like the payments and 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 make the payments happen. Yeah, so mm-hmm. there was a there was a, an issue with the third party payment tool that they were using to collect the payments, and that was able to be hacked. So they have since changed providers. Um, they have a lot more strict rules around it, um, but definitely not cool. Okay, finally, the number one, the number one, the number one. Okay, um, Anthem. So this was also a phishing slash malware attack. It cost $115 million and wow. 78 million people were affected. Basically, the attackers accessed a corporate database with a phishing email and stole nearly 79 million records containing patient and employee data. It's the largest healthcare industry cyber attack in history. I think that one actually happened like in 2012 as well. I don't have the information in front of me, but it happened a while ago. So um, hopefully that means, you know, a lot of these organizations are getting smarter, have, are paying more attention to what they, what they need to do to keep their um, patients' data safe. I mean, we even just recently saw Sick Kids Toronto get uh, attacked. Um, right. And interestingly, there, the attackers uh, gave the uh, decryption key back for free Probably not out of the goodness of their heart, though. Probably more because <laughs> that was drawing a little too much attention to attack, you know, this really important hospital for sick children, most of whom have mm-hmm. cancer. Uh, it's pretty mm-hmm. evil. But um, nice to see they gave it back anyway. But yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I think things are, you know, a lot of companies are putting a lot more effort into, into their defenses. It's such a an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, on the one hand, you would you would hope that there were some kind of set of norms where these were not organizations that would get hit for the reasons you just described. You know, these, these are life and death situations here. But the flip side of that is that these are the folks who their mission is about as critical as it gets. So they have to get up and running as quickly as possible. They're more likely to pay that ransom. That's or, exactly or, you know, it. Whatever it is to get things going and. What a what a terrible tension there that exists between those two things. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, interesting stuff. Dinah Davis, thanks so much for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. I'll be on vacation for the next week or so. 
and Trey Hester will be behind the mic. I hope you'll give him your kind attention. I'll see you back here in about a week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.